Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 44, actually. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but when I uh, got into sixth grade, I started getting involved in my church's youth group. Um, so here's a plug for the youth group. If you don't have a youth group, we have a great youth group here. Marcus is in the back running our computer and our camera, uh, volunteer extraordinaire back there. Um, but he uh, would love for your youth to get involved in the youth group. Okay, so there that is. So when I was in sixth grade, I started getting involved in my church's youth group, and it was great. I loved it. But there was a culture at my youth group that I quickly learned about that I didn't know when I first got there. Uh, and and this, this cultural expectation was that when we got into the youth room, you walk in and there was like this kind of small stage, and then there were these really nice couches that were really comfortable along the back wall and the sides. And the expectation was, that was kind of known among the youth, was that as a middle schooler, I was not allowed to sit on those couches. <laughs> and if I did, one of the high schoolers, any high schoolers here today? Yeah, there we go. The high schoolers would come in and walk over to me and say, hey, I get seniority, you sit on the floor, the couches are, are for the high school. And I would move to the floor all sad. So all sixth grade year, I sat on the floor. All seventh grade year, I sat on the floor. All eighth grade year, I sat on the floor, but I was excited because this was the last year. The next year, I knew I got to sit on the couches. And if one of those little middle schoolers came and sat on the couches, it was now my turn to say, seniority, you move to the floor, the couches are for me. The summer in between my eighth grade and my ninth grade year, we got a new youth pastor, and she was great. Uh, the first day of my freshman year, I come into youth group, I walk over to the couches, and there's a middle schooler there, and I said, uh-uh, buddy, that's my seat. The, the, the high schoolers have seniority, you have to sit on the floor. Well, our new youth pastor did not like that. Thankfully, she pulled me aside before she really laid into me. And I said, no, no, you just don't understand. This is, this is what we do. This is, I, you know, all sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I sat on the floor. Now it's my turn because I have seniority. And she said, that's not the way this is going to work. As a high schooler, it's your job to be a leader. And being a leader, in Jesus' eyes, means it's your job to serve others. 
And so we had a new culture in our youth group that began to form, one of servant leadership. So all of middle school, I sat on the floor. Guess where I sat all of high school as well? (laughs) On the floor. This great reversal that takes place in the church is remarkable. And it's key to the gospel. It's key to everything Jesus comes and teaches his disciples. It happens throughout scripture. And the scripture I read this morning is just one of those places. We're going to take a look a little bit closer at this scripture in two different scenes. The first scene is Jesus kind of laying into the scribes for for who they are. And the second scene is the scene that Christina um, told our children about that we'll get to in a minute. So we're going to look kind of uh, phrase by phrase through this first scene. He, He looks at the scribes and he says, beware of them as he's teaching. Anytime we see that Jesus is teaching, it should make us ask a question first. Who is he teaching and where is he teaching? We find out from the chapters before this that Jesus had been teaching crowds in Jerusalem. And in this instance, he's in the temple teaching. He's just had a bunch of run-ins with the the Pharisees, the Herodians, the, the Sadducees, scribes, all these different religious elites in the church. And in each case, he has won up to them. He has won their, their battles. And so now as he's teaching, he's kind of looking to, to put that final nail in the coffin to say, you don't want to be like these people. And he looks at the scribes and he says, beware of the scribes. And he gives a list of the things that the scribes were doing that we should not emulate. The first thing he says about the scribes is that they like to walk around in long robes. They like to walk around in long robes. These most likely were prayer shawls that were really elaborate and had these long tassels on the ends of them. It would make them stick out. It probably looked something like like this. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but it would have been something like this. And this prayer shawl would have have signaled to everybody else around them, not necessarily this was a person of prayer that you can come to and ask for support and prayer. More than than that, it would signify this is a person of importance. This person is very important. Which leads to the next thing that Jesus, Jesus criticizes them for is they really enjoyed being greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Now, last week we honored our veterans in the service. Do we have any of our veterans here today? Great, lots of them. I need some help. Um, uh, who wants to help me? You don't have to stand up for anything. Charlie, did you raise your hand? All right, what branch of the military were you in? Army. In the Army. What's the highest officer in the Army? The general. Okay. So when you first joined the army, what would you have done if a general had walked into the room? You stand up. Why would you do that? As a sign of respect. So this was actually very similar to what would happen in their day. The scribe was wearing one of those robes and they go walk around the marketplace people would stand at attention as a sign of respect to this person who's wearing these fancy clothes because it signified 
This was a very important person. Thank you, Charlie. It was painless, right? The next thing Jesus criticizes them for is that they really enjoyed having the best seats in the synagogues. Now, their synagogues were quite different than uh, our sanctuaries or places of worship. They didn't have these rows of pews. Instead, it was just kind of open in the middle, generally. But along the edge, there were benches. Uh, and here we have a picture of a synagogue, I believe, in Capernaum, uh, which is probably very, pretty standard to the way they were built back then. You see it's pretty open in the middle, but there are benches along the sides that would be where the people who are really important get to sit. And these scribes really enjoyed being able to sit in these important seats. And similarly to that, they really enjoyed having places of honor at banquets. And all of these things, they were pointing to themselves and building up themselves to signify that they were people who should be respected, people who were important. And actually, if you look at these things, they're not that different than things that still take place in our day. In any society, generally, it's people who have fancy clothes, people that command respect, who sit in seats where they are honored, people who get celebrity treatment. That's who these scribes were. They were enjoying this celebrity treatment a little too much. The next thing that, that Jesus criticizes them for was a, a little bit strange. We're not completely certain what he's actually talking about, but he says they devoured widows' houses. Um, quite, a, quite a strange thing, and actually I read some really strange theories as to what that meant this week. We're not going to dive into those right now. But I think what's generally agreed upon is whatever it really meant, what was happening is the scribes were taking advantage of widows. They were taking advantage of people who needed to be cared for. They were doing the opposite of caring for them. And then finally, Jesus ends this, this, this criticism of them by saying, for the sake of appearance, they say long prayers. And it's not the length of their prayers that's the problem, is it? It's their motivation behind their prayers. For the sake of appearance, they say long prayers. All of this paints a picture of these scribes who cared more about themselves than anybody else. In first century Judaism, their culture was based largely on this concept of honor and shame. Anything you could do that would build up your honor was good. And anything that would bring shame upon you was something to be avoided. This is something my Wednesday night class has been learning about uh, as we've been studying the culture around the New Testament is this culture of honor and shame. And so here we have an example of these scribes who are trying to do things that would increase their honor in the eyes of the people. And then comes along Jesus and completely reverses all of it. He points to the very things they were doing to bring themselves honor and shows how they are all shameful things. The motivations behind them are shameful. And Jesus reverses their honor into shame and takes 
in essence, their honor onto himself and shames these scribes, which, which ends in the, this part of the, this section of the scripture we're looking at, which simply says, they will receive the greater condemnation. He's really laid into these scribes. Then we come to the second section of this scripture that we're looking at today. And in this section, Jesus is done teaching. He moves over and he takes a seat. And we read this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. You see, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Go back to that first part of that scripture for me, Marcus. So uh, as Jesus sits down, we're told that he is watching the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Can you imagine that you've decided you're going to give an offering to this temple? And as you're going to do it, you see Jesus is sitting over here watching. You probably had an amount picked out you're going to put in. And you see, well, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a little more. Jesus is watching. <laughs> this caused me to just take a minute to, to wonder, what would my worship look like if I really believed that Jesus was watching me? What would our worship as a church look like if we reflected before we came together on the fact that Jesus, present here in this moment, watches us, is present with us, among us? It might have an effect on the way we worship, don't you think? And I don't just mean about our financial giving, although Chuck Bruni, who's our finance chair, probably wants me to say that. <laughs> The way we worship should be impacted by who is with us. Jesus sat down and watches them put in their money to the temple treasury. Biblical authors are constantly using this technique of contrast, where they take two different ideas and contrast them against each other to show how one is better or more important than the other. The contrast happening here is the large gifts from the rich people and the very small gift from this poor widow who has almost nothing. And Jesus then calls his disciples and says to them, and this is a phrase that generally isn't going to cause us to stop and think, well, what does that mean? It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> it's just describing what's happening, right? Then he called his disciples and said to them. This week, this phrase stuck out to me. It stuck out to me because it made me think, anytime we see this phrase, it's a matter of discipleship. What's coming next is literally Jesus teaching his disciples. So for anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus, when we see that Jesus is teaching his disciples... We should perk up 
We should pay attention. We should listen to what comes next. And what comes next is Jesus tells them about these two gifts, these contrasting gifts. The rich people who put in large sums and the poor widow who puts in her two cents. And Jesus then brings again this great reversal, which goes against all logic and says her gift is more valuable. She has actually given more. You see, Jesus is pointing to a theme here that we find throughout Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, it spans across all biblical authors. We find it in the Psalms, we find it in the history books of the Old Testament, we find it in the Gospels, and we find it in the Epistles in the New Testament. Here's a few examples of how the heart of the worshiper is more important than the act of worship. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. It's not enough just to worship or perform acts of worship, but you worship with gladness when you come into his presence with singing. What's going on in your heart matters. In 1 Samuel, we read this. Uh, Samuel is uh, looking at the, the, the sons of Jesse and trying to find the next king of Israel. And he's looked at some of them who are big and strong. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord does not see as mortals see. That is what the scribes were missing. They were seeing as mortals see. It mattered to them what they dressed, how they were greeted, and where they sat. But the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then even into the epistles in First Peter, oh, I'm sorry, in, in the Gospels we have from Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is constantly doing this great reversal. He says, you have heard that it was said of, to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, because the Lord sees the heart. The Lord does not see as mortals see. And then in 1 Peter, Do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braiding your hair or by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. Now, it should be said that all of these verses that we just plucked from different places throughout Scripture all have their own context with their own meanings. But there is an overarching theme that we see throughout Scripture that these Scriptures help us to see. And that is this, this reversal. That what goes on on the outside and that what, what humans see as valuable isn't how God looks at us. And when Jesus looked at that temple treasury, it's not how Jesus looked at them. 
He looked at them quite different. A few verses before, uh, a few, few verses before the, the scripture that we're talking about this morning uh, is actually one of the scribes who comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? And you all, probably a lot of you know the answer, Jesus' answer to this question when Jesus essentially says, love God with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. This scripture, both the first scene and the second scene, paint a picture of people who were not doing that. The scribes, did they love God? As, did they love others as much as they loved themselves? It's pretty obvious in the way they went about life. The way they went about their walking around. The way they attended synagogues. That their love for themselves was far superior than their regard for others. And then we get this poor widow. In the first scene, widows are to be pitied. The scribes were devouring their homes. But then in the second scene, with this great reversal, the widow goes from being pitied to be the one that is praised. She's the one that brings the true offering, the true act of worship. Because she brings her all. Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of Mark opens with him calling his disciples to him. They're doing other things, and Jesus says, come and follow me. And they drop their all. They give it all up to go and follow Jesus. And now in Mark 12, we're getting towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Soon he's going to be arrested and crucified. And here towards the end, we get another reminder of what Jesus is asking for from his followers. And this widow, because it simply says she gave all she had to live on. She gave it all to Jesus. I ask you this morning, and I ask me as well, what did you bring to give to God today? What did you bring? Maybe you brought a financial gift after, after we had a, a sermon on giving last week. Maybe that spurred you towards a financial gift. If so, great. Or maybe your gift is to sign up for City of Bethlehem to, to help make it happen this year. If so, great. Maybe you are uh, going to serve the Thanksgiving meal after this. Maybe you signed up to serve in that way. Or maybe you're in the kitchen right now cooking because they have the volume to where they can hear us in there. What did you bring? I don't know your circumstance. Perhaps, perhaps it was all you could do to muster up the strength to get out of bed and come here today at all. I don't know what your gift to God is. I don't know what he's calling you to give to him. But I do know 
he calls us all to give to him our best. To give our whole lives to him. Let's give it to him today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time where we can come together and worship you. God, we pray that if there are times when we're acting like the scribes, when our worship is merely appearances, we pray that you will convict us of that. That your Holy Spirit will show us where we are failing to give our hearts to you. That you will lead us to repentance and guide us to true worship. And God, where you are calling us to give more of ourselves, we pray for courage and strength. And God, as we sing this closing song, may it truly be our prayer to take our lives, take all of who we are, for your will to be accomplished in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.